0: Please.
1: Another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Doctor GX Wolfei. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at FunkinStuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First guide to Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership former members of Frankie Beverly and Maze's touring band, now known as TMF or The Music Forever. TMF includes one of Maze's founders, along with others who've been part of the group for 20 years or more, and who have worked with stars such as Whitney Houston, Earth, Wind & Fire, Mavis Staples, Jan Jackson, and Al Jarreau. Together, they are honoring one of soul, music, uh, soul and funk music's, Most successful and beloved legacies that includes Maze classics like Southern Girl, Happy Feeling, Feel That You're Feeling, Back in Stride, Running Away, Golden Time of Day, Working Together, and Can't Get Over You. All eight of Maze's 1977 to 1993 albums hit the R&B Top 10, with 15 singles going top 20. In addition to bringing those songs to vivid life on stage, TMF is producing new music, including the soulful single, Making Love to the Music. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. How are you all?
2: Good doing all right. How about you?
1: Doing well, doing well. So glad to have y'all. Um, thank you for making the time to do this. Uh the fans are gonna really enjoy it. So uh gratitude to all of you. Great. Thank you. So um let's jump right in and kind of uh identify the five of you. We have five of the seven today, and uh if you could each uh go around and tell me uh your name what you do in the group, where you're from originally, and where you are today.
2: So, All right. (laughs) And uh, I'm here. I live in Virginia. Uh, I've been with Mace for 55 years. And I'm from Philly.
1: And uh, you're percussion and vocals, right? Yes, sir. Excellent. Thank you, Rome. Who's up next?
3: Well, I'll jump in, I guess. Uh right, I'm sure. Cal I'm Calvin napper and I'm the drummer. Um I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's where I reside right now. Uh I played drums with Mays for 13 years. And uh so I'm currently still here in Winston-Salem.
1: All right, North Carolina in the house. I'm near Charlotte. Yes, so
4: yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Yes indeed. Uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Daniel. Go ahead, Daniel. Uh, I'm Daniel Wetherspoon. I'm uh, keyboards in Oregon. I'm uh, currently living in Maryland. I'm originally
5: from Chicago. And uh, I've been uh, with Maze for two years. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm in Maryland now. So good luck.
4: Excellent. <laughs> All right. Chris
2: or Barrett?
0: You want to go ahead? No, you go ahead, Chris. You're good. Okay. Uh, Chris Walter. White uh, band. <laughs> right. Uh, born and raised in Houston. Um, lived in New York for 13, back in Houston. And uh, I'm the, the lead vocalist for TMF. And I've been a longtime fan of, of Maze, of course, uh, for many, 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 many years and all of these guys. Very good.
4: Thank you. And last uh, but not least, Bear. Yes, Bear Williams, bass player, um, musical director. Live in uh, Los. I lived in Los Angeles for 25 years. I'm originally from Chicago, and that's where I reside again now. So. Very good. Well, thank you, uh, one and all. Uh,
1: Barry let's stick mm-hmm. with you for the next one. Uh, if you could uh, mm-hmm. just give us a little brief background on your other musical experiences besides, you know, uh, Maze and TMF, uh, and uh, how you got uh, uh, into TMF or, or into Maze. <laughs>
4: Um, well, my, my musical background goes all the way back to my high school days. Um, I was 16 years old when my high school band, band director, Mr. George Hunter, hired me to be a part of his uh, big band outside of school. Um, so I was, you know, 16 years old playing with these uh, 30 and 40 year old teachers and doctors and lawyers. Um, his band was called George Hunter and the Moonlighters. Henceforth. You know they were all doing other things but they were all comp- accomplished musicians so that was a a heck of a way to cut my teeth um from there i went into uh i toured with the staple singers um for about five years um went from that into the studios in chicago worked with people like gene chandler jerry butler um, shirley bassey um and from that point um fast forward i was with various groups and stuff and uh fast forward um i had a chance meeting with anita baker in detroit i was working with bobby lyle uh, her musical director at the time and he had a show um in detroit and she he invited her to the show and so um consequently i got to meet her and her husband after the show and um from that point we just kind of hit it off i had my business cards with me after the show and i said listen if you ever need a bass player You know please please keep me in mind i I gave it to her husband walter and he said oh man this is this is great actually because we're getting ready to get rid of our bass player (laughs) and so so the timing couldn't have been more perfect um it was about six or seven months later that i got an official letter from her management um inviting me to become part of her touring band and from there um toured with her for about a year, made great friends and, and in, the, in the industry, people in the band and stuff. And they were beckoning me to come out to LA. So from that point I got, after that tour, I got, uh, the job with George Duke, which basically that's like the Oak tree that everything else came out of. Okay. And so from there, uh, Boney James, uh, Jonathan Butler, Larry Carlton, Steve Perry, all these different other uh, uh, acts came through that. And um, the Maze thing <clears throat> came because I was actually recruited by one of the former uh, members of Maze, which was uh, Wayne Ziggy Lindsay, to, uh, I was referred because they were on their, uh, they were doing their Back to Basics record at that time in 1993. And uh, he referred me to Frankie. Um, Frank called me himself and he asked me to, Come up to his house. He had a beautiful studio uh, in the in the Bay Area, and I came up, recorded, um, you know, uh, the bulk of the album. And um, from that point, that was '94 when the album was released. And then years went past, of course. And then it was around 2000. I'm gonna say around 2002. Um, I got another call from another friend in the band at that time, Michael White, the drummer, and he said, "Hey, man, um, Robin Dewey, who was the you know the original bass player on all those great records early on," he said, uh, "Robin's you know going on a solo career and he's he's leaving the band, so he's holding you know, Frankie's holding auditions," and so I was like, "Oh, really? Okay," <laughs> you know, I I thought that was something that you know I would that's those are not words I thought I'd ever hear. So um so I, I dialed Frankie up and he was really surprised that I was, you know, interested. And I said, No, I, I, I you know, I worked on the record with you guys. I think I know what you you know may need in that area. And so he had me, you know, he flew me up. And uh, as they say, cliche, the rest is history. I, I was with the band for twenty years. So Wow, that's such
1: and, an impressive yeah. uh, history, Bear. Thank you for sharing all that. Amazing uh oh, you're welcome. range of artists that you've had experience with.
4: Thank you. Yeah. You know, coming out of Chicago and and Daniel can attest to this, you know, that Chicago is just a proving ground as as well as Philly and a lot of other places. But you had to play so many different things well um, in order to make it as a musician. So I, I was I had a really good foundation. And so, of course, now you said, you know, fast forward. This is how I'm in TMF. We all you know wow. we all banded together and, and formed tmf and so that's 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 where we are now so excellent thank you
1: for that rome i'm gonna get sure. back to you because we're going to talk some maze history uh but just in terms of uh other background how you got into maze let's uh jump to calvin for that story
3: okay so um my background is is basically in and gospel music that's where i the majority of my background is uh, I started out playing with my mom and aunts uh, when I was like 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. They had a group of sisters uh, called the Napper Singers. And so I grew up traveling with them. You know, they were in what's considered the Quartet Gospel Network, you know. So I played with them like for some years, um, ventured off from that. And I started um, in the contemporary gospel field. I, I worked my first professional uh, gig was with a guy named uh pastor john p key and new life community choir I worked with him for about a year and a half uh then went on from doing that to working with an artist named donald lawrence um the tri-city singers worked with him for about seven eight years um and then i um uh, from that uh went from that point to i recorded on some records with some different artists uh through donald lawrence because he's a producer so um played drums on a lot of different records and uh then ran into Donnie McClurkin, uh, Pastor Donnie McClurkin, who's a big gospel artist, worked with him for about uh four years. So after that stint from working with him, um I worked with, had a friend of mine based with Stephanie Mills, R and B singer Stephanie Mills, and he called me and uh and asked me if I'd be interested in coming and playing drums. I was like, I'm sure, man, you know, I'd like to check it out, you know. Why not? I mean, you know, why not? So um got with her, worked with her for about Two years, and that's where we come into the the Maze thing. So we were doing a show, um, and we were opening for Maze in Baltimore at Pier 6. And uh, one of the band members that was on the, in the band at the time, he saw me on the side of the stage, and he told his tech to make sure that, you know, he got my number before, you know, if I, was, if I were to leave before they finished. And I was like, no, I'm going to be here, blah, blah, blah. So one thing led to another. We talked afterwards, after the show, and um, I ended up going out to san francisco about maybe a month or so later uh to audition and uh they kept me over for an additional day um because i was told that hey when, once you come out just plan to stay for an extra day if frank digs you you know what i'm saying he's going to want to keep you over so i did and then uh the rest is history i was a part of maze from that point in september of 2010 until may of this year and so now we formed tmf the music forever to continue the the legacy of
0: yeah you
3: know, exactly the music so yeah thank that's you for that that's my store
1: heavy on the gospel tip over there yeah all right well uh we've got uh jubu you got uh, audio you're good yes we, we already rolled through introductions so i'll just say uh, that you are the guitar man right so everyone knows and yes. um we were just uh going around and and telling how um became part of uh, the maze organization um so um i think uh, we we're moving on to daniel next
5: oh morning. Uh, so i'm uh i'm daniel i play keys as i said earlier um i started in chicago uh in the gospel world as well um born and raised uh kojic uh in my short period heard of that, but it's a Mm -hmm. a, a breakdown. Yeah, uh, I started young. I started about 11. Um, uh, Music wasn't necessary. I don't even know if I've actually shared this with the guys a lot, but music wasn't my interest. I I wanted to play football, believe it or not. Uh, But um, uh, oddly enough, at nine, I found out I had bone disease. So. So at nine, uh, I was on uh, crutches and uh, had a leg brace for three years. So I could no longer play sports. It happened on the field. Actually, I got hit on the field and couldn't walk. So at that point, we found out I was actually, I was born with it, but we never knew it. So at 11, about 11, I needed an outlet. I needed something to because I'm just in the house. My older brother's playing and family, yada, I didn't get to play in the summer. I'm in the house, so I just decided to pick up a habit. Uh, and those two habits, one was uh, I was always fascinated with uh,
4: architecture uh, and just the design of buildings. And then I just started twinkling at piano because we're at church, you know, um, all the time. Um, I was
5: never the guy that, you know, sat behind the drummer at church. You know, it used to be back when I was coming up, it used to be 10 guys, 10 little kids with a holding a pair of drumsticks sitting behind the drummer wishing they didn't get a chance to play. I was never like, I was never interested. And then because of my uh, uh, ailment, uh, I just took to piano as just a habit, something to do to keep me busy. And next thing you know, it became life's call for me. You know, so uh, mm-hmm. uh, I started playing around town. Maybe about uh, 16, 17, I was gigging around town. You know, uh, in high school, every year I was in marching band. Uh, well, no, my, not to my junior year, junior senior year, I was a marching band, but the other four years, I started getting in a jazz trio and you know, symphonic band, and I played clarinet my freshman year of high school, and then I went to, and hated it, and then I went to, uh a sophomore year and hated it, and then, you know, so, but uh, after high school, uh, I started picking up work around town, and, um, you know, small sessions here and there, you know, artists and records that never come out, and gigs, and then out of nowhere I got a call, which I think was like a pivotal point, point. I was kind of doing things more, I was working with Thompson, <clears throat> this guy he passed away named Milton Brunson, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, one day I got a call to do a, a record for Ricky Diller, which is a gospel artist, he used to do house music back in the day, but um,
4: mm-hmm. this, was,
5: this was 35 years ago now, and uh, in the middle of that record, uh, they brought in the guy to co-produce the album, because I guess it was just kind of falling apart. And the guy they brought in to produce the record was Donald Lawrence, which is the same guy Calvin mentioned. So in the midst of working on that record, at the end of the record, I got a call one day from Donald saying, hey, man, uh, I want you to come be a part of this record I'm doing. And I had—I don't think I had met Calvin yet. Uh, or if I did, I don't think we knew each other then. Maybe it was, maybe, maybe it was 25 years ago now, not. But uh, it was right at the beginning of us meeting and I got called to do this record, and he said, "I'm working on this record in Detroit. I want you to be a part of it." And it happened to be Karen Clark's uh, finally carrying out her first solo album, and um, Calvin was a part of it. And That's where our friendship kind of jumped off. Uh, I took a solo on that record, but I was given a feature on that record, and you know, and no, please don't take this in any form of arrogance, in any way whatsoever. But uh, I took a solo. They actually, they wanted a keyboard solo on this one song, and. Uh, I got a letter maybe about two months ago saying that it, they're going to honor it as the most famous solo in gospel music, and I, it was a solo on a song called "Jesus Is the Love Song," and I played keyboards. I played the keyboard solo on that. That's me on the video on the record, and here we are, twenty years later, twenty-five years later, and it's still very popular thing. So I mean, I never knew. You never know when you're doing something how long it's going to last, or where it's going to go, and yada yada yada. And it was, uh, that moment was life-changing for me. And then from there, I went on to do other things. Mr. Jakes, we did MegaFest. It slowly started evolving the r and And then here we are years later.
4: I mean, we don't have to focus on the things in the middle. Uh, well, a few of them.
5: Uh, I worked with, a, I did a remix record with Janet. I did a Beyonce's tour. I did uh that Abdul record. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff was going on. And then about four years ago, when Right before pandemic, uh, my friend Calvin called and said, "You know, you expect a phone call. Blah blah, blah, your phone's going to ring. Blah blah, blah, yada yada." And uh, I was in Target uh, right around, you know, school supply time or whatever. And I'm in Target and uh, getting stuff for school or finals or something for the kids. And my phone rang, and it was a guy named Joe Douglas on at the time. Uh, and he asked me, was that did I have a minute to talk? And I said, sure. And he put he happened to put Mr. Beverly on the phone, he put Frank on the phone, and he said, uh, no, let me go back before that. Let me go back before that. Before that, I got called to sub a gig for the guys in Mexico. Uh, because the keyboard player couldn't attend it. Uh and uh I never got to meet Mr. Beverly in the rehearsals, and he never actually never even came to the rehearsals, I don't think. Uh and uh, I didn't meet him until after the show. So I think I did a couple days with the guys. Uh, uh, I believe it was that way. Or either I learned it on the spot or however it was. And I didn't meet him physically until the show was over with. And, uh, and I actually, I feel like the first time I met Rome, I was in the airport at baggage claim. And I said something to him. My brothers is getting stopped by security or something like that and i said that to rome and i didn't know he was wrong and uh and uh i did the gig and then about a year later or so pandemic was kicking in or coming to a close and uh i got a phone call asking if i wanted to be a member because it, it was just a transition of the old board player and and that's how i was a part of the team and it lasted about two years and then you know uh it came to a close it was a good time when it, it was a good time while i lost so that's my story.
1: All right. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Appreciate it. Um, no problem. And uh, now we have uh, Chris. Chris, how did you, uh, what was your background coming in? I know you had some uh, work with Al and so forth. And then how'd you hook up with uh, the Maze organization? Uh,
0: well, like many of the guys, I started out in the church. We had a family gospel group called the Walker Brothers. And, um, you know, when I graduated from the high school for the Performing and Visual Arts, I knew I wanted to pursue uh, endeavors outside of Houston. And my father, of course, he wanted me to go to seminary school. And I looked at him and said, dad, that is not for me. (laughs) So I packed up uh, my suitcases and I I, I moved to New York with $40 and a dream against my parents' wishes. And the school that I wanted to attend was already in progress. In fact, I I submitted an application. They told me not to come because I couldn't afford the tuition. So anyway, I, I I arrive in New York. Um, the very next day, I go out to the school and I am I hear music coming out of the auditorium. I poke my head in, guys on stage playing. Just so happened they didn't have a bass player. So they saw that I was carrying a bass, invited me up, and the dean of the school walked in and instructed the program and gave me a full scholarship to go to school. And that's how my journey uh, started in New York City. From there, I started working with Regina Bell as her her musical director when I was when I was 19. And our first tour was um actually with opening for maze featuring Frankie Beverly. <laughs> so and Rome, I, I remember Rome very well because he was always so nice to me. Every time I would see him, he had a smile on his face, and he was always encouraging as well. And so during the our show with Regina, I would sing a come out and sing a duet with her. Um and I would look in the wings and that would be Frankie listening. And, uh, you know, which of course made me nervous. But um, on many occasions, he came up to me and said, young man, keep doing what you're doing. One day you're going to make it. And after he sowed that seed into my life, of course, I, I, I went on and um, landed a record deal and started releasing my own music. And uh, fast forward, you know, I, I after releasing those projects, I started working with Al Jarreau and so many other artists and uh, currently actually working as a bass player with George Benson now <laughs> because I just love playing and I don't want to give it up. But um, so the guys, um, uh, when they decided to, to, to start TMF, <clears throat> I, I received a, a phone call from Bear. Now, during the pandemic, um, the Holy Spirit led me to, to post two songs every week on social media just to lift people's spirits. So I was posting jazz, gospel, r and just anything that came to my heart. And, of course, being a huge fan of Maze, I um, posted one of their songs, uh, We Are One. And Nell, um, who is Rome's lady, saw it and showed it to, to Rome, and it reached like over a million people. And Rome saw it and, and showed it to the rest of the guys, and then um, I get a call from, 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 from Bear. And he says, "Hey, man, this is uh, this is Barry. I mean, you probably know me. You remember me from uh, uh um, Larry Compelled." And I said, "Man, are you kidding me? Of course I know who you are." <laughs> so anyway, and he said, um, "I would like to invite you on a Zoom call with with you know with the guys." And I said, "Okay," but he wouldn't tell me why. So, you know, I get on this Zoom call and, uh, and I'm thinking in my mind he wants me to sub on bass for him with with Maze. And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so. We're on the Zoom call, and, and and to my surprise, they they asked me to consider being the lead vocalist for, for the group. And, of course, you know, when they said that to me, I started laughing. <laughs> and I said, fellas, this, the search is over, because they told me they were vetting other guys. And I said, no, 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 the search is over. <laughs> and uh, to my surprise, they called me the next day and said, you're our guy. So that's how I became a part of TMF, and I am truly thrilled and honored. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Excellent. Thank you for that, sir. We'll definitely get back to a little bit more on TMF. Uh, but uh, let's continue with uh, Jubu. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about your background musically before the Maze organization and how you connected with the Maze organization.
2: First of all, I'm the heartbeat of TMF. Good. <laughs> okay. <Let's> establish that.
1: <laughs>
5: He's the of the heartbeat.
2: I'm the heartbeat of TMF. <laughs> no, for me... Um, my earliest recollection, I started on bass uh, around four years old, four years, four years old, five years old. And for me, it was in um, and, and, and gospel music like the rest of the guys, and quartet gospel to be exact. And for me, man, I was just, uh, my dad was my hero. And um, he was a weekend warrior of sorts. You know, he, um, he did a nine to five, but he always played, he sang, you know, and um, I guess he would be a combination of um, Joe Lagun of the Mighty Clouds of Joy and Tyrone Davis, a blues singer. Um, Just some Johnny Taylor stuff, too, you know, but he was was my hero, and he was a bad man, you know, as far as I was concerned. So I would tell Rome all the time, you know, my my favorite sport is probably boxing. Had my dad been a boxer, I would have I would have followed in that he, you know, I was just following my dad. I had no idea what I was doing, but I just wanted to be like him in every sense of the way, every, every way he, that he liked old cars. I drive old cars now, you know? So it really was me just trying to be like my father. And, but I fell in love with um, music at an early age, but I always wanted to play guitar but in in our band, my dad's gospel group, the Soulful Sons of Zion, um, he was the guitarist, and we didn't have a bass player, so he made me play bass. But what would happen was he would go to work, and my grandmother would open, the, take the lock off on the closet, and let me strum around with his guitar because I would beg her, let me play, you know, let me play. So this would happen. This happened for a few years until around nine years old. Um, I was playing. And I broke a string. And so um, the cat was out of the bag because she had to tell him, you know, he's going to open his guitar case and see the string is broken. So she tells him, John, don't get mad because I let him play it. But, you know, he broke his strings. And so my dad calls me in the living room. He's like, you broke my string? Yes, sir. I'm thinking I'm about to get the greatest beatings of all time, you know. And um, he said, so you've been playing my guitar. Yes, Father. You know. So what he did was he set up both amplifiers. He plugged up the bass and, and plugged up the guitar after he fixed the string. And he said, um, all right, let's play something. So we went through uh, a few songs, a few quartet songs that people would know. And after about maybe 10 minutes, he stopped and he said, Man, you're better than me. <laughs> and from that point on, I became the guitar player and he wow. switched over to bass. And, um, you know, and he would always tell me that there was a lot of musicians that were around, but I really fell in love with it. You know, at, a, at an early age, I just fell in love with guitar. And the reason, this will make you laugh probably, the reason why I wanted to play it. Was because it got more attention. <laughs> you know, my dad would my dad would play a small lick and and he would follow that lick by telling the people, you know, I never been to music school, but God is all right, isn't he? And then he'd come back with another lick and you hear all the church women, especially, said, "Hey man, play baby, play baby," and I was like, "Hey, I, I want that because." My first initial reaction would only be when we come up on stage. Oh, look at the kid. The bass is bigger than him, but that would be it, you know? And then he's getting all these comments all during our, our set. So, oh, no, no, no. I I want, that's what I want. Right. So fast forward to, um, I, I was friends. I grew up in Oakland, California, and I was friends and associates with Carl uh, Wheeler, our previous keyboard player that, that, um, that Daniel replaced ended up replacing uh, Raphael Sadiq. We all grew up together. Our parents knew each other. Raphael Sadiq from Tony Tony Tony. We we all grew up together. Um, we didn't go to the same school. They all went to the same school, but my parents wanted me to go to school in in a you know better neighborhoods. So they would find people and and borrow their uh, addresses so I could go to that those particular schools and but I was friends with Raphael, and uh I want to say in 1988 his sister was tragically uh killed in a high speed chase in Oakland and um a police car hit her struck her so I I went to the wake and um I went up to him and I said hey man it's been a while since I've seen you just wanted to give you my condolences so he says, "Hey man, wow, it's good to see you. Been a while, man. Why don't you come by the church? We're gonna rehearse for. I'm I'm doing a song for a funeral the next day. Okay, cool. So I came by the rehearsal, and he said, "Man, let me hear you play something." So I just doodle around, and so he said, "Oh wow, you're not the same dude." And uh, let's exchange numbers. I'll, I'll be in touch with you. And uh, after after the funeral, after her funeral. Uh, a couple weeks later, he called me and said, hey, man, will not you come by the house? And You know, that happened for about three to four months. Occasionally, I'd come by the house. And when I come by the house, he'd have an acoustic guitar and he'd play me some of their songs. And full disclaimer, I really didn't like their music. I just uh, I liked hanging out with him, you know, and uh, they had a song. Their first hit single was a song called Hey, Little Water. That was an offtake of Wade in the Water. And me being, you know, from a Christian household where everything, even bowling and playing cards was taboo, I was just like, I don't want to deal with you guys. Y'all going to hell, you know? So, (laughs) (laughs) but he would always ask me, man, what would you play on this song? What would you do on this song? He said, wow, man, I'm going to try to get you in the band, but I have to slide you in because, you know, his older brother was the guitarist and, and, um, And I was like, yeah, whatever, man, because I really didn't care about playing with them anyway. Well, fast forward, uh, 1989, they're in the studio working on their second album. So he asked me to come in and play on a couple of things. And um, uh, in December of 89, they started rehearsing uh, for a tour that they were going to do to, you know, to launch the album, to support the album and uh their manager at the time called me and he said hey man uh we want uh we thinking about bringing you into the band um uh how's 800 a week <laughs> 1989 i'm 19 years old and and i'm going too fast i i like uh my story isn't as amazing as Chris's story but I went to Berkeley High School. Once again my parents put me in another school zone. Berkeley High School had a very prestigious high school jazz band. But I didn't read music or anything, but I went um to audition anyway. They had another guitar player at the time that was there and these guys were reading and everything, but the but the um teacher, the band conductor, he said he just wanted to hear me play. So I started playing and um he didn't pick me, you know, he, he picked the other guy, but he pulled me to the side. And he said, um, you have great ears. I want I want you to stick with me, come around and I'm going to give you music. Just go and learn that music. He he didn't want to even, you know, disturb me or try to teach me how to read. He said, I'm, I'm afraid to do that. He said, but you have great ears, so I'll give you music. And learn that music and come, you know, bring bring it back to me. And what he did for me was open my eyes. I, all I knew was quartet at the time. <laughs> and he started opening my eyes to big band jazz and blues. And I was just, wow, I didn't even know this stuff existed, you know. And so fast forward to uh, going to Tony Tony when the guy asked me, you know, we're going to start you out at, at uh, no, actually he said 600. And um, I said, wow. But something inside of me was like, don't just go for that. And I was like, that sounds cool, man. But, you know, I was looking for a thousand if I'm going to do this. You know, uh, he said, a thousand. Man, how are you going to negotiate? You doing $50 gigs at Yoshi's on Monday nights. I know about you, son. And I said, yeah, but I have a scholarship to Berkeley College of Music. And. You know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to school, man, and and um, you know get my game up and do my own music and everything. I said so. You know, I'd like a thousand dollars if I'm gonna sacrifice that, knowing that I didn't want to ever go to school anyway. After I got out of high school, I I literally hated school. You know, I I hated it from the time I got out my mom's car until my dad picked me up, and um, but I something just told me <laughs> to negotiate. So we settled on $800 a week and I said, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's a decent start, man. You know, it, but on the inside, I'm jumping for literally jumping for joy on the inside. Like, Oh my God. Right. Well, there was a counselor that was, that would check on me from Berkeley school of music um, because I took the year off when I graduated. I, I graduated 88. I begged my mom. She You know, I would have been the first one to graduate of our family. And that was very, very important to her. And I said, Mom, just give me a year off, please. I I hate school. Just give me a year and and I'll go. Well, during that year is when I got that call. So the counselor called me and I was going to start in 1990, um, second semester. So he called me and I said, hey. Uh, I'm coming. I just got an opportunity, though, and I want to know what you think. Uh, There's a group called Tony, 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 and they just offered me $800 a week. They're going to do a six-month tour, and I want to do that tour. And the guy says, man, I got to be honest with you. You got to come here for five years, and you'll be teaching kids after you leave here. You won't make $800 a week. So go on that tour. We'll be waiting for you. And I never, literally, I've never gotten off the road because um, I toured with them from 89 to 98. And then um 98, I got a call from um, Ricky Minor, who was the musical director for Whitney Houston. And he said, he calls me and he goes, Hey, man, um, are you Jubu Smith? I said, Yes, sir. He said, Are you the guy that played on those Tony, Tony, Tony records? And I said, Yes, sir. I, w- I want you to come down and audition. Uh, in Los Angeles uh, for a small artist named Whitney Houston. I said, a small artist named Whitney Houston. Was, and at that time she had sold close to a hundred million records, you know? And, um, and he said, so how are your eyes? I said, well, I, I think I got 20, 20 vision. You know, he said, he said, no, man, uh, <laughs> do you read music? And, uh, I said, no, I I can't lie to you. I I don't read music, but I, I, um, I can remember very well, you know? And, um, he said, well, go get all, all her albums and, uh, you're in Oakland. I said, yes, sir. So go get all her albums. You drive up, learn all that music. And, um, we want you to audition. So I literally tried to remember about 50 songs, man. And, um, when, when I came to audition, there had to be 20 guitar players, about 40 bass players. That's all they were checking for that day they were auditioning for. It. And a who's who's, of, you know, who's who of musicians were there. But, I, you know, I heard all those guys playing. I said, hey, you know, if I get a fair shake, I'm going to get this gig. I just I just felt I understood it more. I, I, I felt, you know, I just felt I was just as good, you know. And um when it came time for me to play, I we did a couple songs and he asked me to solo. I took a solo. It's not in the Guinness book like Daniels is, but I took a solo and um <laughs> and uh when I got done, he said, Hey man, uh stick around for a minute, you know. And I said, Okay. Um and then the other guitar player came up to me and he said, Yeah. He probably just wants your number for the few you know future references, man. You, you know, you did a great job. So I was like, yeah, okay, okay, you know, and then uh around eight o'clock, this this audition started at 11. So around eight o'clock, they said, Hey guys, thank you, everybody. And um, we want Jubal to stay. And from that, I was like, Wow, okay. So from there, I had toured with Whitney for two years before. Uh, I got a call from Mr. Beverly himself. Now, prior to that, when I was still with Tony, 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 I met Rome. I was uh, doing a side gig for for a very talented artist named uh, Jay Spencer out of California. Rest in peace. Saxophone player. One of the first people that was signed to Michael Jordan's label at the time. I um, can't remember the name of the label, but um, uh, Mojazz, I think that's what it was. And so I was playing at the Greek theater and we got done playing. So I'm walking up top of the theater and I just see this guy dressed almost like Eddie Murphy and holy man. He just has on this white two piece linen outfit and some sandals. Right. So about a quarter mile down, man, this man is walking towards me with his arms wide open. You know, I'm like, this dude come to save me or what's, you know, what's going on here. (laughs) And, and he, he, he says, Hey man, Come on, man. Bring it in. Hug me, man. Come on, man. Give me some love, man. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm a kid from Oakland. This, I'm a ghetto kid. You know, I just have a gift. And I was like, who's this dude wanting to hug me, man? You know, so Rome embraced me, and I knew who he was once he got it closer to view. I said, oh, my God. This is the cat from Maze. You know, I love Maze. Big, big, big fan of Maze. And um, this was even before Carl got in the band. So I'll say this was maybe 96. So I get a call from Frankie in '99. He calls me himself and I end up hanging up on him because I thought it was a prank. He calls me and he goes, Hey, what's going on, man? Uh it's Frankie B I'm trying to see if you got eyes for the band. I said, Man, stop playing games with me. So I hang up the phone. And he calls back and he goes, no, please don't hang up, brother. I got your number from Carl Wheeler. When he mentioned Carl Wheeler, then I I was totally embarrassed. I said, wow, man, I just hung up on this guy. And I said, hey, man, I, I apologize. I'm not used to the artist calling. I'm used to an assistant or management. You know, I, I apologize. And he said, no, man, no problem. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I handle my band, man. It's, it's important to me. And he said, I just want to know if you wanted to fly up and let's talk about it. And, you know, um, and he took my information himself. And the whole time I'm on the phone and, and he's booking my flight while I'm on the phone. And I'm, and I'm just like, man, this is unbelievable. So the next day I fly up and he uh, has someone pick me up and bring me to his house. And uh, and we we sit and talk for a few minutes and he asked me. Did I have anything I could play? Um, and we still, we, I still, we were still at cassette tapes. So I pull out a cassette tape of an artist that I worked with called, uh, named Rasan Patterson. And Frank heard about 30 minutes of it. And it was him and, and Robin Dewey, the bass player that Larry took over from. And uh, he took the tape out after about maybe a minute and said, Hey man, if you in, we want you. And uh, I said, yeah, I mean, I'm playing with Whitney, but I'll figure it out. So he said, well, just talk to my manager and tell him what you need and, you know, we'll make it happen. So I'll be honest with you guys. You know, it went back to my Tony Tony days of of negotiation. I said, well, you know, uh, Frankie's more of a cult figure. Whitney is a bigger pop star and I have more opportunities from, a standpoint of um, endorsements and, you know, other situations, but I really, really loved Maze's music. And I just kept remembering Rome and I said, wow, man, if, if I, if I get with this band, I know I'm going to love this guy. I'm going to love hanging out with this guy. So when his manager called me, I had spoken with my wife and, and um, I said, babe, you know, when he's been so good to me. And she said, well, just throw a crazy number out there, you know, if they accept it, then you should do it. And I did, I threw a crazy number out there. What I thought was crazy at the time. And, um, his manager said, well, he told me I can't come back with nothing but a yes. So, okay. And, um, I told my wife, my, our son was, I think he had just started walking that morning. Um, and I ran and told her, I said, Well, baby, teach him how to run. Cause we're in there, you know? And <laughs> and uh, excuse me, guys, I'm coming getting over cold. But that was my introduction to Maze. And honestly, I, I have to say the determining factor for me was I really felt um, I've always wanted to be in, in a great band. Tony 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 was a great band. And I thought that. I thought that that would have lasted for us, but things happened. And, and um, when I got the call from those guys and I thought about Rome and I said, well, man, this will get me back to a band, of, you know, a brotherhood and everything. And, and I knew that they toured all the time. I'm, I mean, I heard stories literally where they would be on a bus seven months at a time. And that's what I really, really wanted. So that's how I got into Maze.
1: Wow, Juba, that's quite a story. Thank you so much for that. And uh,
2: I told you <laughs> I was the heartbeat.
1: <laughs> I think uh, I think I want you doing my negotiating uh, from now on. You know, like
2: <laughs>
1: There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends and become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon. Or consider donating at funkenslift.net. Thank you very much.